It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast, episode 38. And like I said last time, we're not going to do a intro. We'll do just do the outro so that we don't have to have people waiting for 30 seconds just to jump right into the show. So once again, I'm joined in studio this time by only one Zimmerman, and that's my cousin, Dangerous Dan Zimmerman. And for the main uh, historical topic this week, we're going to continue the story of Stanislaus Zabisco mm-hmm. in the United States. And we will conclude that topic in the next podcast where we'll be joined by Caleb again. But Dan and I decided to knock out another episode because we wanted to review a match where we're going to break our rule a little bit and review a match from 1976 between Bruno San Martino and Nikolai Volkov that unfortunately is only available on Peacock. But if you have Peacock, it's in the old school section and it's October of 76 and I definitely recommend if you have an opportunity to check this match out it's the most wrestling I've ever seen Bruno San Martino do but we'll talk about that in a little bit Mm -hmm. for the update I had a chance to work on the book some more I'm hoping that on a week's vacation I'm taking to take care of my grandson I'll also have some time to write and really get the lion's share of the project done so I'm still hoping for a release date in December, but that's all contingent on how much time I can find to write between now and then. But it's going to be on Ed Strangler Lewis's formative years, and I think that I'm going to end in the end of 1916 or the beginning of 1917, but we'll see as the research develops. Um, one thing I have found out on this is that he met his manager, Billy Sandow, while he was wrestling in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. When Sandow was a wrestler. Sandow came to wrestle. I guess he was also getting in management at the time. And that's where they actually met in late 1913. Okay. And Sandow does take over the management of Lewis's career shortly thereafter. And Lewis still is primarily based out of Kentucky in 1914 and 1915. Mm-hmm. But he's also wrestling in other places, Georgia, Alabama, Arkansas. Perhaps maybe there's a little bit more better transportation modes. That yeah. could, he can travel around a little bit. Besides, yeah. And you've got somebody getting you booked instead of you handling all your bookings. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I told you before we went on the air that Tony Khan went on kind of a tweet storm where he was arguing with random fans over his wrestling product and yeah if tony khan is going to truly be an owner and a promoter and in this case a booker too yeah you're just going to have to get used to that i mean when you do creative work that is up for criticism people cannot like it um plenty of people no not plenty of people that's overblown i've only had a few bad reviews but people have thought that my books suck and have said so yeah you know and I don't get upset with it. I don't write them reprisals or anything like that. Right. It's just, it's not for them. Mm-hmm. You know, either they don't like my writing style, they don't like the way that I research, which I, that's the one thing I think that I do very well is yeah. dogged research. You, you are, well, I was going to say, you do very, very, very thorough research. But they still might not like it, you know, and that's everybody's. Well, it's exactly. prerogative. They don't have to like the stuff that you produce. All right. One of my favorite music stars, Jimmy Buffett, who's passed away. I didn't like every song he wrote. Right. There's a lot of duds. Yeah. You know, but 
it doesn't mean I stopped liking him because of it. Right. You know, it's... And Jimmy Buffett, if he was so sensitive he's going to quit writing music because somebody doesn't like it, then you're not going to ever do anything. Yeah. Because anytime you put yourself out there, people aren't going to like some of the stuff you, you do. Exactly. So you need to develop a thicker skin. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, the one thing I will say, though, is there were some people referencing his mother's medical situation. And, you know, that's uncalled for. Yeah. When you're going to go out and say something about people, his creative work or the poor way he manages his company, mm-hmm. that's free game. People yeah. can criticize that, have an opinion about that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. When someone's mother is having life-threatening medical issues going on, yes. that is not... Be a human being. Yeah. You know, when somebody's going through some... Who's the one person I cannot stand more than any other on this earth? And that's Stan Kroenke. Yeah. You know, he moved the Rams. He's a scumbag businessman who put money over loyalty to his home state. Mm-hmm. So... But I don't even wish, you know, ill will on him. When right. so, if, if he passed away one day, it'll be like, oh, well, see you later. But I don't wish it on him. And if right. his mother was sick, I would honestly say, I wish your, you and your family all the best, and I hope your mother recovers quickly. Exactly. Be a human being, for crying out exactly. loud. Exactly. Exactly. I just, I don't get why people... and. The other thing is with social media, because so, they've got small minds and they want to be, oh, look at me, and they, I'm going to call attention to myself. Yeah, and the anonymity of the internet makes everybody a tough person. Like, mm-hmm. Let's see, if you would not say that to the person if they were standing right in front of you or sitting right in front of you, don't say, don't it. say it on social media. Right. There's nothing wrong with social media. Social media is a tool. Mm-hmm. It is how that tool is used which makes it good or bad. Exactly. And have a little decorum, for goodness' sake. Be a human. No. That's all, that's all we're asking. You don't. And if you want to say that his creative sucks, hey, that's fair game. Yeah, exactly. Because we say it all the time. Yeah, it, it does. <laughs> and, although on the next show we are going to review the match we should have reviewed last time. I thought that ladder match because I just saw a blurb on YouTube a few weeks ago. I thought that was the match they were claiming was a classic. It was actually a match that they had that was not all gimmicked up with the ladders. Yes. And, and it did say instant classic. Yes, in the, on it. Yeah. yeah, it was on TNT. So we are going to review that match. And I will already give one little spoiler. I did enjoy that match a lot more than I it, enjoyed the latter match. Oh, yes. Well, like you said, you know, nowadays these gimmick matches, as we call them, ladders, If tables, I never see another ladder match, it'll, it'll be, be too soon. Exactly. And they, they you know... These things used to be once a year, maybe twice, when you had Starcade, the Great American Bash. There's going to be a bull rope match or a chain match or, you know, uh, God forbid, a scaffold match. Uh, well, those, were, those were even worse <laughs> than the ladder matches. I know. But, you know, now the WWE and WWF at the time, it was a weekly occurrence. Yeah. It was like, oh, we're going to have a TLC match. They oh. have done these ladder matches to death. And, yeah. d- and you're right, WWE is really the one that did them to death. Mm-hmm. So now you don't want to really see them because you've seen it all. All they're right. going to do is an incredibly dangerous bump off the ladder. Yep. In that last match, thank goodness Buddy uh, Matthews took all of that. Yeah. But they could have crippled little Julia Hart pushing her off the top oh, of the ladder. Oh, it would have. I mean, she. Ridiculous ladder. She has no. I mean, she's a, she's a very slightly built girl. Yeah, and she, she would have hundred and ten pounds, maybe. Maybe. And you getting if she would have hit that table and Buddy hadn't been in the way, she would have been seriously injured. I was gonna say lumbar injury, 
or uh, a cracked tailbone or, or something. Her head, maybe. Or her head, even. Yeah. You know, I mean, that table. Was, yeah. Because I mean, he she uh, pushed her basically off the table. Yeah, I and, mean, and Buddy wet. caught her and took the whole blast. Yeah. Good on him. But you know, well, I I made no secret. I did not like that ladder match at all. Right. But um, I I want to give fair play, and we've got this match yeah. to review. Um, I'm interested to see what uh, Caleb thinks of it. Oh, by the way, uh-huh. I have the perfect match to review for the Christmas episode. Uh-huh. We're going to have Trey in the studio with us. Yeah. Because, uh-huh. you know, with his martial arts background, he's been doing martial arts since he's yeah. five. We'll review a Glacier match from WCW. Oh, God. <laughs> I thought she was going to say I thought she was gonna say the Perry Saturn match at Christmas time where he came out dressed like Santa Claus and beat no. the snot out of somebody. Perry Saturn's <laughs> martial arts were pretty good. No. Yeah. But yeah, yeah Glacier, Glacier was a decent. <laughs> but he was so slow pulling that stuff off. Oh yeah, I, mean, I don't know if it was because he was green or he was just getting for me with that stuff. But I'm like, that would be the perfect match for when Trey. Jones oh, Trey will be pulling his hair out. He'd be like, ah, look at this guy, he's so slow. <laughs> but I thought that would be a, a, a good match to review for that show. Yeah, okay, we can do that. And then um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up, and this is the best development that has happened in a long time. According to what we've been reading, Vince McMahon is no longer involved with creative in WWE in any way, shape, or form. It is now Paul Levesque, Triple H. It is his show doing Uh the creative. If that is indeed the case, maybe WWE will be watchable again. Well... Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Well, <laughs> but it, it was better when Triple H was in charge, when Vince was uh, gone for his misdeeds for yeah. a while. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then, of it, course, it, it it's was been better, dysfunctional yes. lately because Vince is back sticking his nose and everything. Uh-huh. But I have noticed the shows have made a little bit more sense. Yeah. Actually, they'll start a story and they'll continue through with it. Yes. Um, so, Although I noticed Jay Super kicked Solo Sokoa again. Because that's what they do every show. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they're they're basically just marking time for yeah. Cody versus Roman two at with WrestleMania Jay as in Cody's corner. Yeah. And just as we thought, they lose the tag teams the very next week. Yeah. There was no reason to put the, the titles on those guys. No, and they don't really need them for what they're going to be doing. Yeah. And it helps the Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So until eventually. Uh, when Damian Priest breaks, because I think Damian Priest will probably beat Seth. Yeah. At WrestleMania for that world title. Yeah. But you know, modern wrestling is pretty depressing. That's why we don't review it all that often. Right. Because I do like some of the Jay Uso storyline, but it's like okay, we got here, but we got here too early. So now we've got to sit and wait until we yeah. get to Royal Rumble and WrestleMania and all of that, mm-hmm. which is never ideal. You know, and not to not to break. You know, I remember when promos made sense. Yes. Well, not always. Remember the Ultimate Warrior. Well, oh, I'm talking about all the old days back in uh, oh, okay. Georgia and Florida and you're WCCW. Talking late seventy. Well, you're talking sixties, seventies, and early eighties of yeah. the territories before uh-huh. everything kind of. Yeah, I mean, apart. you know, and and guys would jump territories because it was all NWA. I mean, you'd see Dusty Rhodes in Florida, Georgia, Mid South, 
he just kind of jump around, you know. You know, uh, I just realized we have been reviewing a lot of modern wrestling matches. Mm-hmm. I wish there was more stuff from the 20s and 30s out there for us to review. Unfortunately, yeah. there's not. Yeah. But I think we need to focus next year's shows, and we've still got to decide... Are we going to do two shows a month, three shows a month? Are we going to do mm-hmm. three shows on the bonus months? I'm yeah. still working through that. Okay. Um, but there is a chance we are going to go to a more expanded schedule next year. I don't know that we're ready for every week yet. Right. But because the, the history topics take a while to research. And, yes, I've written a lot already, and I can go back and pull some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I always like to check and make sure that all that research is the most up-to-date. So it mm-hmm. does take a little bit of time. But I think we should really focus next year on reviewing matches from 1950 or before. Okay. You know, we could do some territory stuff every once in a while, but I think for the most part well, there's we enough, should... Well, there's enough Luthez material out there yeah. and other guys yeah. uh, that we could we could do that, definitely. Uh, pre- I, I do stuff. have to say Vern Gagne is better than I thought because all I ever saw was old Vern from the... the Eighties, uh, yeah, when, when he, was, he shouldn't have been wrestling anymore. Yeah, in his mid fifties, but when he was younger, I could see what all the fuss was. Mm-hmm. Well, but, I mean, you go back to the fifties. I mean, we can look at uh, Gorgeous George. Well, what I really wish uh, is we had all those legitimate contests, which there weren't yeah. a ton from the teens and twenties and that. Yeah, but a lot of those matches were on uh, film. Yeah, mm-hmm. they film rights were part of so the. Gotch, uh, Hackenschmidt, the second match, mm-hmm. that was all on film. Most of the pictures you see of that match are yeah. stills from that original film, mm-hmm. which doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. So I really wish we had those to review, mm-hmm. but unfortunately we don't. But it's very good that Vince is no longer involved in the day-to-day. In all honesty, he shouldn't be involved at all after the misdeeds that he is. There's no place for that in this day and age, and... Women should not have to worry about going to work and being victimized right. by creepy old men. And that—that's the big thing there. That was one. Of, but his second big misdeed was trying to pull off that jet black hair look with the mustache. <laughs> he looked like a villain from like a 1920s silent film. Yes, uh huh. Like ha ha ha! I'm gonna yeah. tear it to the track. Yeah. Yes, Snidely Whip Snake. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, good Lord, Vince, man. We knew. And, and, and who told him that was a good look? Probably his little piece of fluff he had with him. So. Because it made him look like a bigger creeper that, you know. Oh, my God. Some yes, of his misdeeds have made us think that he is. And I wonder when that. Vince, I think, has a real challenge mm-hmm. in admitting that he's getting older, which we all get older. And I've always said, age is just a number on your driver's license. People make themselves older than they need to do before their time. Mm-hmm. But I think Vince really struggles with he's not the guy that he was in his 40s and 50s, now that he's in his 70s. You know, he was right. at WrestleMania, he took his shirt off. He looked fantastic for 76. Oh, yeah, he did. But he's 76. Yeah. And, you know, you don't need to be running around like some college uh, co-ed popping back the pep pills. Yeah. You know, but that sounds like what he was doing. And... Uh, Jim Cornette, who was around him when he was in his 50s, said he was not like that at all back then. Oh, really? So he was really shocked when he heard those things. Uh Uh-huh. So to me, that sounds like somebody who's in some kind of crisis about getting older. Right, yeah. 
but regardless you don't prey on people you definitely don't prey on people that work for you and that no huh you don't that, that's pretty obnoxious any kind of sexual harassment is 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 wrong that's right so and if it was somebody in my family you would be risking a visit well you know it's it's, it's like i was uh and i can't remember the clint eastwood film but it's you know he's walking towards the uh the bad guys and he passes a coffin maker and he tosses him a coin he goes make four coffins you know if anybody did that to people in my family i'd be calling kudos yeah <laughs> get a couple of coffins ready yeah yeah, you, you don't do that kind of stuff. No, you so don't. He doesn't deserve to even be doing the stuff that he's doing now. But mm-hmm. we do know that when you're rich and powerful, sometimes all the rules are not equally applied. Exactly. So with the update out of the way, I think we ought to jump into the main content. Because when I had left off after the last show... Uh-huh. Zabisco had been trying to get a rematch with Gotch since 1910. Yes. And by 1913, Gotch retires, and they thought, it because he had been retiring since 1908 when he beat Hackenschmidt the first time. Yes. Mm-hmm. But he'd always come back. So I think everybody was sitting around waiting to see if that was the kind of retirement it was going to be. Yeah. But it was his actual retirement this time. And Gotch got married in 1909. And uh, his wife was never really a fan. Gladys was never really a fan of him wrestling. She always said that she would never tell him that he had to quit. Uh-huh. But he knew that she was not really a fan of him doing that and that she wanted him home more. Right. So in 1913, he finally called it quits. He did tour with a vaudeville production for a little bit. Uh-huh. But he was done. Um, he was going to come back. He was so tired of people challenging him because he was like, the retired gunfighter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That in 1915, he was actually going to drop a match to Joe Stecker to establish Stecker as his successor. Okay. But he broke his leg in training. Ah. And they never had the match, but the fans accepted Stecker as his replacement anyway. Okay. But it's pretty obvious Gotch is retired and is not going to come out of retirement. Mm-hmm. So in Zabisco's mind, there's no reason for him to stay in the United States. But a promoter by the name of George Tui wants to put on a Greco-Roman World Wrestling Championship match. Okay. So he gets the current champion from Europe, Alexander Aberg, to come to the United States. And he's going to wrestle Zabisco. And this is actually going to be Zabisco's last match before he goes back to Europe. Now, Tui always claimed that he raised a $10,000 gate or a $10,000 purse for that match between Aberg and that, uh-huh. which I've always thought was the hyperbole that you get in wrestling. Yeah. And I'll tell you why in a minute when we get into attendance and everything. And then I told you the whenever I would write about Aberg, mm-hmm. uh, the Estonian wrestling uh, community would come out and try to correct the record. Yes. But you've got to have sources to correct the record. And... What one of them told me when they reached out to me was that the promoter paid Aberg $10,000 to lose the match to Zabisco. Which, think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. Tui supposedly paid Zabisco $10,000. Uh-huh. And he also, or I'm sorry, paid Aberg $10,000 to lose. Mm-hmm. And he also paid 
Zabisco $10,000 to um, have the match because he had a $10,000 purse, supposedly. Mm-hmm. So supposedly they, he's got $20,000 tied up in the purse of this match for a match that drew 5,000 fans with the most expensive ticket being a dollar. Yeah. So even if all 5,000 fans paid a dollar, which they didn't, most of them would have been paying 25 and 50 cents. Mm-hmm. The only people paying a dollar would have been people up close. Right. But if you just took, and we'll just do it for the simplicity of math and say they all paid a dollar to get in, mm-hmm. that's a $5,000 gate. Right. And even with gambling, which was a big part of what the promoters and the wrestlers would get out of that, yeah, he's going to take a bath of about ten thousand dollars at a very at the very minimum. Probably so because, and that's why I talk about the preposterous claims around professional wrestling. First of all, this was a contest. Well, that kind of money back then, yes, is just when, ridiculous. When you do the math calculator and everything, uh-huh. it's in like the seven hundred thousands or something. Jeez. Like that. So it's. Absolutely preposterous on the face of it. It's mm-hmm. actually a ten thousand dollar purse is preposterous as well. Yeah, exactly. They don't even make that these days. But he got a significant portion of the gate. Yeah, which would have been a good payoff then. If you figure the gate was probably three grand. Mm-hmm. Zabisco got the majority of that. Aberg got a little bit, uh, and the rest went to Tui. Yeah. Plus whatever gambling Tui could have worked. Because mm-hmm. he would have had his guys out working the crowd to bet. Both of those claims are absolutely preposterous, in my opinion. Yeah, they are. And nobody paid Aberg, and the match was a contest. Uh huh. It took Zabisco an hour and two minutes to pin uh, Aberg the first time. Aberg was actually able to pin Zabisco once, and then Zabisco was furious because he felt Aberg pinned him on a fluke. Uh huh. Came out and slammed him four times and pinned him in like 30 seconds. Jeez. Yeah. So Zabisco had a bit of an anger <clears throat> problem, huh? Yeah, he, he did not like to lose. And he didn't lose very much, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when they were in contests. And then Zabisco goes back to Europe immediately, which makes the story even more preposterous. Because if Tui was going to pay anybody to lose, mm-hmm. he would have paid Zabisco because Zabisco's returning to Europe. Yes. While Aberg is staying in the United States. Right. Because Aberg will be a prominent member. And Aberg was a great wrestler, particularly in Greco-Roman wrestling. Uh-huh. He beat everybody in that 1915 international tournament. Most of those matches were uh, shoots. Uh-huh. But it was, a, it was a Greco-Roman wrestling competition. Right. And he beat everybody, including Stanislav Zabisco's younger brother, Vladek. Uh-huh. But... He was not on the same level as Stanislaw Zabisco, which there is no shame in that because very few people were. I, as I told you, when he comes back in the 1920s, Ed Strangler Lewis, who was 11 years younger mm-hmm. and in his prime, said the only person I think that could beat me was the 40-something-year-old Stanislaw Zabisco yeah. and his training partner. Zabisco returns to Europe. When he gets to Europe, he joins the Polish army because they're fighting in World War One. Mm-hmm. At some point during this, he becomes a prisoner of war. And even after the end of the war and he's released, mm-hmm. he cannot get back to the United States. Oh, okay. He's trying very hard, but he's not able to do it until in 1920. And I've got it. I went back and looked this up. Yeah. In early 1920, 
uh, U.S. Senator J. Ham Lewis of Illinois was in Europe because one of his pet projects was the Polish Relief Fund. Mm-hmm. And he meets Stanislaw Zabisco while he's over there, and Zabisco tells him, yes, I wrestled you know, from 1909 to 1914 in the United States, and I've been wanting to get back, but I can't get a passport or a visa yeah. to return to the United States. And Senator Lewis says, well, if I help you get back there, would you do a few wrestling matches for the Polish Relief Fund? He said, well, absolutely, because he was working with the Polish Relief right. Fund. He goes, absolutely, I would do that. So Senator Lewis gets him the passport. Uh-huh. So he would have liked to return to the United States at the end of World War II, but he was still stuck in Europe okay. for two more years. So in nineteen early 1920, he gets a book's passage on a ship and comes back, the Oscar II, uh-huh. and he comes back to the United States. When he arrives in the United States, he finds that professional wrestling has changed a lot since he's been gone. Number okay. one, it's almost all work now, yeah. and it's dominated by a developing and strong promotional system. Jack Curley is based out of New York. Paul, Paul Bowser is in Boston. Um, see, in 1920, Contos and Pax hadn't started up in St. Louis, but they soon would. Uh-huh. That's why I'm talking about it's developing. Because right, yeah. in the early 1920s, between Jack Curley and Billy Sandow, they started setting up promoters in all the big cities in mm-hmm. the United States. So you really don't have territories yet, per se. No. No, you don't have territories. You have cities. Yeah. Big cities. Uh-huh. And so as they're setting this up around the Curly and Sandow and Bowser pretty much dominate professional wrestling in the early 20s. Okay. They control the world title, which at the time that he gets back to the United States is being contested by Joe Stecker and Earl Caddick. Mm. Earl Caddick was a, a military hero in World War One. Uh-huh. He had been the world champion before he got inducted in the Army. They kind of wrestle around with an interim title for a year or two, and then when he gets back... He has a rematch with Stecker, who he beat for the title in 1917. Okay. And he loses to Stecker, and soon after that, he retires and goes into business. Real business. Yeah. And Stecker holds the title to December 1920, when Mm -hmm. he loses it to Ed Strangler-Lewis. Okay. And the story around that match is that it was supposed to be a work, but... Lewis thought Stecker wasn't going to go along with it, so he basically told him, we can do it the easy way or the hard way. Reading the details of that match, that that match was clearly worked. Mm -hmm. If there was any kind of conversation about that, it happened before the match. I gotcha. And they agreed, no, we're going to wrestle. Yeah. And Lewis wins the title in December 1920. Zabisco had been wrestling for a few months at that point. Mm Mm-hmm. And people were really impressed with him. He was actually uh, 40 in 1920, and he was 41 in 1921. But they billed him like he was 45 or 46, and he looked older. He, he, right. He, de- he looked significantly changed from his first tour of the United States to when he came back to the United States in 1920s. Mm-hmm. He looked like an old man. Oh, Okay. I think it was the time in the the prisoner the of war army camp. and the prisoner yeah. of war camp and the yeah. army because and all that. yeah he had aged considerably and he did look like an old man, so they could get away with billing or 
saying he was 45 or 46 because he looked like he could be in his mid-40s. Right. <clears throat> in April of 1921, he wins a worked match with Ed Strangler Lewis. Mm-hmm. And he holds the title until either the following February or March. He held it for about a year. Mm-hmm. And all of the stories before I started researching his career mm-hmm. were that the reason they took the title off of him was he was not a good draw at the gate. Like they used to say that with about Dick Hutton. Yeah. Which, with Dick Hutton, it was true. Yeah. Stanislaw Zabisco, it was not true. Huh. He routinely drew ten to 15,000 people to his matches, particularly if he was in Kansas City or New York or you know somewhere where they knew him. Right. He drew big crowds. It was not a money issue. The promoters were controlling the title at the time, uh-huh. and they knew with Lewis or Zabisco holding it, it was in good hands. You, they only worried when they put the, the championship on a performer yeah. who couldn't actually wrestle, uh-huh. and that was always done out of greed. They thought that that performer could draw big money, uh-huh. which is why they would risk putting it on somebody who any wrestler could shoot on and go into business for himself. Gotcha. Which is going to... Figure in big time in when we conclude Stanislaw Zabisco's career. Oh, okay. In the the next episode. But right now, he's been the world champion. And he loses the match to Lewis in February or March. And it was just because Curly and Sandow wanted to put the title back on Lewis. And I think one of the reasons, so I was shocked. Lewis held the belt less than six months in his first title reign, mm-hmm. which I thought was very unusual. But they had put so much heat on the headlock, which is not even a legitimate wrestling move for the most part. Uh-huh. Um, it's a terrible move in grappling because you're putting somebody on your back and you're exposing yourself to a very vulnerable position. Right. But they had got it over so big that commissions were starting to legit ban it. Oh, Wow. You know, they, they did a promotional tactic in New York. The New York Commission didn't ban it. Uh-huh. But the promoters banned Man. it, you know, air quotes, uh-huh. to protect the, the other wrestlers. Well, other commissions picked up on that and started to ban it for real. Oh, wow. So to take some of the heat off of the headlock, yeah. Lewis dropped the title to Zabisco, and then he wrestled you know, building himself up as a contender for another year. Yeah. And took some of the heat off the headlock, used a few other moves in that. Uh Uh-huh. And um, when when Zabisco drops the belt back to Lewis, Lewis is going to hold that championship almost uninterrupted for the next three years. Okay. And Zabisco is still a member... Well, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. When Zabisco dropped when he won the title from Lewis and then when he dropped the title to Lewis mm-hmm. when he beat Lewis for the title there was no Goldust trio right the Goldust trio was Sandow Lewis and then Joseph Toots Mott uh-huh. who was Sandow's promotional partner and Lewis's training partner right in early 1922 when he drops the title back to Lewis the Goldust trio is in its infancy uh-huh. Toots Mott has just come from Farmer Burns to work with Lewis and Sandow, and their way of promoting is just starting to get off the ground. It won't come into full effect uh-huh. until the 30s and the 40s. Okay. But 
the the Goldust Trio is becoming a thing about the time that Sabisco loses the title to Lewis. Okay. And so over the next couple of years, Lewis freezes two wrestlers out, which causes a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. He freezes Joe Stecker out of the title picture because he does not like Joe Stecker. Oh, okay. And there's no reason for his like of Stecker other than professional rivalry. The two of them were the rivals as Gotcha's successor mm-hmm. and as the greatest American professional wrestler at the time. Uh-huh. And Lewis eventually surpasses Stecker. Okay. And Lewis does not like Joe Stecker. But Although... Go ahead. Oh, Gotch is the one that set up Stecker. To yeah, Gotch was going to lose to Stecker to set him up. This is before Lewis was Ed Strangler Lewis. Oh, okay. He was still becoming Ed Strangler Lewis in the mid-teens. Okay, and he Stecker doesn't like Stecker. was already established. And he doesn't like Stecker. was three years younger. Yeah, Lewis does not like Stecker because they were rivals. They had three yeah. legitimate contests uh-huh. in the 19-teens, 19-15, where they drew the first two. Uh huh. And the last one, Lewis finally won, and Lewis kind of surpassed Stecker and never looked back. Oh, uh, okay. But they were the deadliest dull matches in the history of wrestling. Gotcha. They were so evenly matched. But if Lewis doesn't like Stecker, he absolutely hates Vladik Zabisco. Uh-huh. They got into several fist fights and matches where either Vladik Zabisco didn't go along with things or he mm-hmm. wanted to test Lewis and made Lewis angry. And what did Lewis do when he got angry? He punched people. Yes, he did. So they had several fist fights in the ring. And he hates Vladik Zabisco. And Vladik Zabisco was Jack Curley, the New York promoter's biggest star at the time. Oh, okay. So he wasn't even wrestling with Stan Olasov then. No, he was still wrestling Stanislaus. He never had any issues with Stanislaus. No, he, no, I'm talking about they weren't, they weren't like a tag team or anything. No, him and his there brother, was no tag just, teams at that time. Okay, yeah, the no tag teams don't come into being for a while, but they were very close. Uh huh. They lived together, but Lewis liked Stanislaus, uh-huh. and he said you had to be careful because if he shot on you, he could do some damage. Yeah. And he said he he had to tell if he was thinking about shooting on you, he'd start breathing heavy. Uh-huh. And Lewis would do something to Stanislaus to remind him, hey, I'm Ed Lewis. Yeah. Do you really want to do this? But they still got on fine. Yeah. There was no, he never got into a punch up with Stanislaus. Yeah. And Stanislaus maintained good relations with the Goldust Trio. Oh, okay. But Vladik and Lewis couldn't stand each other. Lewis hated his guts. Oh, okay. So Lewis would not let him have a title match, even though. Vladik was the biggest star in New York City, which also made Jack Curley very angry. Yeah. Because Curley wanted to have, even if he didn't win the title, he wanted Vladik Zabisco at least to get a couple matches with Lewis in New York. Okay. Because he thought they would be huge matches because Vladik was so big in New York. Yeah. And it would make everybody a lot of money. But that's why Lewis wouldn't let Zabisco have the match. He didn't oh. want to make Zabisco a lot of money. Right. Because he couldn't stand him. <laughs> So that created a lot of professional resentment Uh and would lead up to the events of 1925, which we'll talk about in the next episode. Okay. The other thing that was happening was while Lewis was ticking off Stecker and Zabisco, his promotional partners were making everybody else mad. 
because hmm. Mott created this scheme where they would book their wrestlers like a vaudeville show. So they, he created the package wrestling show, which everybody sees today. Oh, with the five to seven match. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now there may have been fewer matches at times, depending yeah. on where they were. If they were in Kansas City, they might have a four match card. Mm-hmm. Or New York, they might have a four or five match card. If they were in, oh, Springfield, Missouri, you might have a two match card. I gotcha. You know, depending now, on the size of the town. But they insisted that their wrestlers were the ones that were booked. Yeah. So, if Stanislaus Zabisco was with the gold, which he was, uh-huh. when they came to New York, Vladek Zabisco, who was established, because New York had an established wrestling promotion, they had their own wrestlers. When the Gold Dust Trios brought their champion in, nobody that was normally Jack Curley's wrestlers were on that card. Uh huh. It would only be Gold Dust Trio backed wrestlers. It would be two smots or whoever. Yeah, and they would get, they got a percentage of the booking. Uh-huh. They got a percentage of the house for doing that. And so they would book their wrestlers. So if you had a four match card in New York, it would be maybe Stanislaus Zabisco and. Lewis on top, or maybe Mont and Lewis wrestling, mm-hmm. and then the two or three matches on the undercard would all be their guys. The New York wrestlers would not be on that card, right? So the wrestlers are ticked off because they're losing a payday because they're off of a card. Well, altogether. yeah, absolutely, I would be. And too. the promoters are ticked off because if you don't have an established circuit and established stars, uh-huh. you don't care. No, but if you have an established circuit and established stars, you're very much caring about that. Uh-huh. Well, that didn't last very long before they still did the same thing. Mm-hmm. But they would re- they would let the champion wrestle the top wrestler in that area unless your name was Vladek Zabisco. Gotcha. Or Joe Stecker. So, so when they went... They gotten free, they was getting froze out. Yeah. So when okay. they would go to Wichita, which was a promotion that Billy Sandow helped that promoter set up... Mm-hmm. Uh, who was their top wrestler in the 20s? It was not Browning yet. Jim Browning would come out of Kansas. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm picturing him. He's a big raw bone guy from Kansas. But he would wrestle Lewis. Maybe I can find him here in a minute. Okay. He would wrestle Lewis in the world title, but then the whole rest of the card would be filled out by uh, the Gold Dust Trio wrestlers. Yeah. So instead of no wrestlers, you get your top star on the card with the Gold Dust wrestlers. Mm-hmm. But the rest of your wrestlers, so there's still a lot of resentment being created. Okay. And this will all lead to the events of 1925, which we're going to talk about in the next episode. So I wanted to end this with a story that, again, is one of these things that I just consider fanciful promotion. Mm-hmm. And there's nobody around to correct the tale. But this was what Stanislaus Zabisco talked to with the newspaper reporters when he came back to the United States in early 1920. Mm-hmm. And it changed a little bit over the years. But basically in March of 1920, he gives a story to the El Paso Herald uh-huh. about a life-threatening situation he faced in Russia. And he attributed this to his bitter rival, Alex Aberg. All right. Uh-huh. Now, before I get into the story, let me tell you, I don't believe it at all. Yeah. And Aberg and was not around to 
contradict it because he had died in February of 1920. This story comes out the first time in the newspapers in mm-hmm. March 1920 after it's already been announced that oh, okay. Aberg's passed. Yeah. So, number one, we've only got Stanislaus Zabisco's story because Aberg's not around to contradict any of this. Right. But according to Zabisco, when he was in Europe, he was uh, w- looking to get a wrestling match because mm-hmm. his unit had been disbanded. Yeah. And the Russian army arrested Zabisco because Aberg had told him he was an Austrian spy. Because Aberg didn't want to wrestle Zabisco. Oh. So, Zabisco begged the soldiers to allow him to wrestle. wrestle. They agreed, but they told him he would be shot if he didn't defeat Aberg. Right. So, Zabisco wrestled Aberg very carefully, and after two two hours and nine minutes, he threw Aberg for the defeat. Wow. And there had been a lot of, well, if you believe this, there had been a lot of gambling on this. So, Zabisco scooped up the money and threw thousands of rubles in the air above the soldiers <laughs> who were startled. So, they start scrambling for the money, and Zabisco escapes. Ah. And then he would later become a prisoner of war. As I said, we don't have any other buddy to contradict this because Aberg's gone, but Zabisco contradicts himself. And... Two years later, he gives a story, this time to the Washington Herald, but it's changed. <clears throat> he said that originally he and Aberg teamed up and were going to wrestle in Europe, but Aberg owed him 600 rubles and refused to pay Zabisco. That led to a disagreement, and Aberg again had Zabisco arrested as an Austrian spy. This time, the contest had lasted <clears throat> 9 hours and 43 minutes. Yeah. And ended with Zabisco pitting Aberg. He again threw the money in the air, but he didn't make his escape. The soldiers just decided to let him go. And then Zabisco wandered around Russia until the armistice was signed. He would then return to Poland in poor health due to poor nutrition. However, none of this accounts how he did all of this while he was supposed to be in a prisoner of war camp at the same time. Because the timeline as in many wrestling stories, uh-huh. doesn't really match up. Gotcha. <clears throat> but, of course, never let the facts get in the way of a good story, particularly in professional wrestling. So these stories floated around for several years. So basically, don't Zabisco. go ruining the story with a bunch of facts. That's right. Let's not confuse <laughs> this issue with a bunch of facts. Let's just buy into the story and accept it at face value. There you go. So... Uh, while he was definitely a legitimate wrestler and a shooter of the first order, I don't call him a hooker because he didn't know as many submission wrestlings. He had come mm-hmm. up in Greco-Roman. Yeah. He had learned catch. And he and Vladek picked up enough submissions that when Vladek was training Harley Race in mm-hmm. the early 60s on his farm, he was stretching Harley with subs. Right. But they were never catch wrestler hookers uh-huh. in the same vein as a... Ed Strangler-Lewis, Joseph Tutsmont, John the Nebraska Tiger Man, Pesek. Yeah. Um, Londis probably knew more now, in, in subs your, than they did. In your opinion, what was the best form of wrestling back then? Catch. If you were alive, you'd rather watch a catch match than, say, a Grokorovic. Oh, yeah. Or a, they, it would be more exciting to watch. Uh-huh. Um, but if I was to learn a style of wrestling, 
you know, it's just like the difference between learning judo and jujitsu. In judo, you're going to be very hard to take off your feet. In Greco-Roman wrestling, you're going to be very hard to take off your feet, Uh which is where most hooks, submissions occur. They occur on the ground. Right. Most of them. Mm -hmm. There are a few standing ones. Yeah, like the torture they're, rack. They're harder to well, a torture rack's not legitimate. Well, yeah. I guess if you got somebody up there, but it, it's like the figure four. Yeah, the figure four is a legitimate submission hold. Uh huh. But how do you ever get anybody in it? Because right, they have to be a complete moron to let you bend their legs all up like that. Yeah, because every time when you turn around, you're going to get a boot in your uh, <laughs> rear end. Yeah, or in your face. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Right. As soon as you start to do that whine, they kick you in the face. Hopefully. Yeah. But yeah, as you turn around, they push you off with mm-hmm. their foot. Um, it, it's yeah that they would work, but how do you get somebody in those? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the reason standing hooks are so difficult, standing submissions, is you have no control of the body. Yeah. Okay, so we've got football running in the background as we're taping the episode, and Greg Olson looks like he went to a homeless shelter <laughs> and got a jacket today. Oh, but back to the original program. <laughs> but that's hideous. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's just hard to control somebody for a standing hook uh-huh. because it's hard to control their body. I can do a standing, uh, it's called a head and arm choke. Uh-huh. And most of the time, it's uh, or uh, most of the time it's done on the ground. Yeah, and you kind of wind out to the side and it tightens it up. Oh, okay. But I can do it standing. Yeah, because I've got enough of a squeeze that I can get up underneath usually. Uh-huh. To use their own shoulder as the other choke point against uh-huh. my forearm. Uh-huh. I've choked a lot of people out with that standing arm triangle, but it's not easy. Yeah. And if they're able to shift their upper body just a little bit, uh-huh. they can take the pressure off if they know what they're doing. That's why uh-huh. standing hooks are so hard. Okay. But if I was going to learn one of the two, I would learn catch wrestling. Just like if I have... If I have to choose, you don't have to choose, you can learn both. Yeah. And I've trained in both judo and jiu-jitsu. But if you had to pick one, uh-huh. I would pick jujitsu in the martial art realm. Yeah. And if for a form of wrestling, I would pick catch wrestling. Yeah. Over Greco Roman or is Colin that because, Elbow is it or all. more grappling or um, um well, I think it's more complicated. But uh-huh. also So I don't know how many people I arrested over my career. Mm-hmm. But I never hurt anybody because I just tied them up in a knot. Right. And I think that's the most effective way. It looks better. You you don't have to hurt anybody unless you would. I always said I only did to people what they made me do. Right, exactly. But if you've got that submission background, you can choke somebody out. Unfortunately, you can dislocate an arm or a leg. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't really want to do that if you can avoid it. Right. But because you can take their consciousness away and then let go... That's what kills somebody. When you hold yeah. on chokes, that's what's dangerous. Yeah. When they start to go out, you let go and then you mount them and mm-hmm. keep them in a, a tight position. That's the safest way to control people, and you don't hurt people that way. Right. You know, they're up a minute later, uh-huh. normal like they always were. The only way you can really screw somebody with a choke, besides holding it on too long, which will kill people, uh-huh. that's almost all these things where you hear where someone has died because the police put a chokehold on them, uh-huh. it's because they held it on and they went unconscious and they still held it on. Held, held it on you after they went. You can't deprive people's brains of oxygen for a couple minutes and have a good outcome. Right, yeah. Because that, that's what causes brain damage. Yes. You kill them most yeah. of the, a lot of times. Um, but the other thing is if someone is very old, 
So I don't know why you would be putting a chokehold on a 70-year-old. Yeah. But you can collapse the veins from what I've heard. Oh, okay. When they're that old. Yeah. Right. And probably not very good condition. Yeah. But yes, so if I had to choose between a style, I would learn catch just like I would... If I had to pick... Yeah. You could only do jujitsu or you can only do judo, I'll take jujitsu. Okay. So, speaking of actual wrestling, uh-huh. we saw a wrestling match. So now, full confession, I never saw Bruno San Martino wrestle mm-hmm. until the 1980s when he was in his 50s in WWE. Right. I saw some of his old matches from the 70s, mm-hmm. and I saw Bruno as a punch and kick guy. Yeah. And I never understood why he was so highly regarded until well I never understood why he was so highly regarded because you can't watch wrestling in a vacuum right exactly he was Superman to the people in the Northeast oh my gosh and yo yeah uh, up in uh, uh, where the America Boston uh, and where all the Italian Pittsburgh immigrants were yes Yes, he was a Superman he was a he was a true ethnic hero Mm -hmm. uh, back in the 60s and 70s Mm -hmm. And one of the sad things is we don't, even in the 70s, Bruno's getting older. He never intended that that second run with the title. Right. They paid him big money to get him to come back. His best work in the 60s, we haven't seen. I told you there's a match I found from JWA in like 68. Yeah. It's Bruno versus the Giant Baba. It's an hour long, which Uh is why I haven't had us review it. Right. But I might at least watch it and maybe share my thoughts on that one. Right. Because the the little bit that I did watch of it, he was working at Hammerlock. Yeah. But I will say, this match with Nikolai Volkov from 1976, mm-hmm. that is the most wrestling by far that I've ever seen Bruno do. Mm-hmm. And it was more wrestling than I was used to Nikolai doing, but Nikolai we saw at the tail end of his career as well. Yes. I mean, when we would see him at the live matches, like I said, he had, you know... He was a joke back then. Uh, at, then at he the was end in his career. late four. I'm sorry. He was in his late thirties, early forties. Mm-hmm. He was forty in 1987. Yeah, and he was the guy that was putting over the top people. Yeah, if you saw them, unless it was a tag match, he and mm-hmm. the Sheik might win in a tag match here and there. Usually, after they hit somebody with Freddie Blassie's cane, and then yeah, they, didn't Slick take them? Because Slick so. took all of yeah Blassie's. Blassie's guys. T- yeah, uh huh. So Slick would have had him, but th- usually they put everybody over. They put over everybody in the tag matches. They put over all the upcoming stars. Yeah. So I thought of him as more of a job guy. Yeah. But actually, uh-huh. he was a stud in the 70s, and if you see him at Mid-South in like 83, uh-huh. Bill Watts really knew how to use Nikolai. That, oh, that's yeah. some of the, his best work I've ever seen. I think Nikolai had his best hit ever in Mid-South. And that's when he hit Dusty Rhodes with a 100-pound bag of wheat. The Russian wheat. Yes. <laughs> he clubbed the hell out I, of I don't Dusty think Rose. any wrestler or promoter has ever thought of using a bag of wheat as a foreign object before that particular... But hey, it worked. It did. It did. Because you see him with that big bag of wheat hitting... And you're like, you know, I wouldn't want to get hit by that. Oh, that, hell that no. That would hurt like heck. Oh, and the best thing was, when it, when it split open and all the weed started falling out of it, I was like, oh, man, that's just... <laughs> yeah. So he was really known how to use in Mid-South. But 
Well, they had him, uh, basically, he was the catalyst to Barry Dar... Uh, what was his name? Uh, Darso. Darso. He became Crusher Khrushchev. Became Crusher Khrushchev. And then later, Smash and Demolition. Yeah, and then, but, I mean, he was, he defected to Nikolai Volkov. But Nikolai yeah. Volkov was giving him all kinds of praise, giving him gifts and everything, and, and convinced, well, you know, kayfabe, convinced him to come over to the uh, Russian side. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, they... they you know, they basically had him recruiting guys and, yeah. you know, everything else. You know, and I tell you what, Barry Darva was a more believable Russian than Nikita Koloff could ever pull off. Yeah, and the funny thing is, <laughs> Nikita stayed in character all the time. I know he did. You know, and that was the same thing, and I know we're getting a little off topic here, but they said... Don't uh, we always get a little well, off yeah. topic? You know, when uh, Kamala was uh, in Memphis... They said if you saw him in Memphis, he wouldn't talk, keeping up that that whole kayfabe that you know he was uh, a savage and didn't know how to talk. Basically, right. I was like, man, that'd be tough to go through uh, part of your life not being able to yeah. talk to anybody. You know, out on the he was kind of a funny guy. I I listened to him on. I'm trying to remember who he, he got interviewed on one of the wrestling podcasts. You know, because originally he was James Sugar Bear Harris. Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. Jerry Lawler's like, did anybody see you come in? He goes, no, come back here on Tuesday. They, I think they shot those vignettes in uh, Jer- uh, Jerry Jarrett's backyard. Oh, did they? Yeah, I think so. Because um, Jared was, yeah, Jared had a big house in Memphis. He was oh, working yeah. for Nashville. But I thought he had a big house in Memphis, too. Um, yeah, they shot those in Jarrett's backyard. But, yeah, I'm trying to remember what show. Maybe he was on Jim Ross before Ross started doing the new podcast. Uh-huh. But yeah, they interviewed him, and he's a pretty funny guy. I gotta be honest; I was kind of surprised that he was as funny as he was. Uh-huh. But yeah, and he had some interesting stories to tell. Unfortunately, um, he's now the late James Sugar Bear Harris. Yeah. But he, well, he had uh, complications isn't that with the story of almost all the wrestlers we watched when we were kids. There's very few that are still yeah. around. Uh, I know that he was having complications with diabetes. That's, and had that's what his killed him. I mean, it, it, he had lost both legs. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, he was wheelchair bound and he had lost both legs uh-huh. already from it. Uh, he was, I, 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 you know, I he was never one of my favorite wrestlers or anything, but you know who he was. Um, and watching, uh, but listening to him, he got, he really got disrespected by the uh, WWE and WWF. He yeah. would have these, you know, yeah, he was main eventing with Hogan, but the pay was yeah. so... It was not commensurate with what a lot of other yeah. people were getting. Mm-hmm. And Kamala was a huge star in the yeah. 80s. You, you cannot, that gimmick got over. Oh, yeah, it did. People, I think, thought he was a real cannibal or something at some point. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, you know, I always liked it when he he would wrestle barefoot and somebody would stomp on his toes and he'd be, <laughs> Which does hurt in MMA. Oh, yeah. They will do foot stomps to try to get out of stuff. Oh, do they? <laughs> yeah, well, because the first one they saw do it with Marco Huas in some of the early UFCs and this uh, big guy, and unfortunately, he's a late uh, Paul Varlins, too. He oh. passed away during during the COVID pandemic uh-huh. from COVID in his early 50s. He might, yeah, he was in his early 50s. Mm-hmm. And he had Huas up against the fence and just basically hold on because he knew if he let Huas go, Huas would tune him up. <laughs> so he just pushed him against the fence and was holding there. And Huas 
started stomping his foot, and that's how he got the guy to kind of oh. let up. Yeah. Because his barefoot, he just started stomping them feet. And, uh-huh. And it definitely, because you've got such small little bones on the top of your foot. It oh, yeah, all those little like metatarsals. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that hurts like heck. Oh, I bet. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I'd want to, I, I'd drop every once in a while, do the battle ropes or something. Uh-huh. And those ends are taped, and I won't be paying attention. I'll drop the battle rope, and it'll hit the top of my foot. Oh. Oh. You're staying a little bit? Do, I'm doing it to myself. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, th- that's a very sensitive part of the foot. But uh, getting back to uh, say, Volkov, any, any other thoughts about that match? Ah, uh, I tell you what, I really like Bruno San Martino's hair. <laughs> he he, he <laughs> when was he got the permanent <laughs> in the seventies. <70s>, yeah. <laughs> I think everybody had. Well, we we were talking about uh, at one of the family dinners we have here. Sometimes, folks, we were talking about my grandma and aunt. Um, both of them are, are departed now, and are, uh, but. Uh, they had the same fro or the same uh, perms back in the 1970s. Yeah. <laughs> Looked like My grandma always wanted to get her permanent every four weeks, I think it was. It was something like that. But uh, I'm talking about Grandma Ellis. Oh, yeah. So both uh-huh. Grandma Zimmerman, Grandma Ellis, and Aunt Bernice all had perms. Her perms back then. I said, I guess that was the thing back then, too, you know. Yeah. You know, at one point, one of our cousins had a, a perm. And poor thing, she looked like Henry Fonda. <laughs> I was like, oh, now that's not a good look. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I digress. But uh, the, the uh, San Martino and Volkov match, like you said, it was more scientific than I expected. It just it goes to show that these guys do know their technical wrestling, and they can do more than punch and stop. But like Bruno said, it was easier to punch and stop because it was usually in revenge when a heel attacked him and he was getting even. Yeah. Uh, now Volkov, I don't know why he didn't, if he, unless he was just so big and could intimidate people and he was just, you know, like yeah. that. But anyway, so I'll stop now. <laughs> no, I, just say, I, I, I thought it was a really good match. It, it was. It was a very good match. If you have Peacock, it's well worth checking out. Yeah. Well, I think we've wore all the topics out. I didn't want to lead with this, but I kind of want to end with it. So uh, my ex-brother-in-law, who's like a brother to me, unfortunately had a devastating stroke a week ago, Mm -hmm. and he only has a few days left. So bye, brother. I'll see you on the other side. You will be missed, sir. Yeah. You you leave behind a family that's really going to miss you. and. Mm -hmm. We'll remember all the great things until we meet again. You know, I was just thinking about that the other day because he used to be commissioner of our fantasy football yep, leagues. He sure And was. we would gather in that big, massive living room and the boards would all be up on the walls. <laughs> and It was like a smoke-filled war room except nobody smoked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, we had a lot of good drafts there. And uh-huh, we did. Good golf games and mm-hmm. talked a lot of football through the years because that was all our sport. So. Yep. And you will be missed, brother, so we'll see you soon. Well, we're hoping not to see you that soon. But Right. And, and the, the real, what do they call it, temporal time? Mm-hmm. The time between now and when we see you again will be very short. Yeah. In our lifetimes, we're hoping it's a little bit longer. Exactly. Maybe another 20, 30 years. Yes. So. 
Yeah, I always thought 95 was a nice round number. There, there you go, 95. I always, See, I was always thinking 75, but, you know, hey, what do I know? Well, you know, I've <laughs> done all this working out. I'd like to see it pay off to do something. Yeah. You know, my uh, my father, who's been, uh, it'll be uh, 20 years this December, but he he did he he made it to seventy four, um, and well, let's not go on what the nat- my natural father did because he only made it to fifty seven. Right, uh, but you know I I don't think Dad had any complaints about anything that happened in his life. He always, you know, he was a military man. He spent thirty five years an employee to the city, had a wife, two kids, always had food on the table. You know. I don't think there's much that a man can ask for out of life, so. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think he had any regrets. And, no. Except when it was let us watch wrestling and he couldn't watch his westerns. Yeah. And then there was, <laughs> there was regrets that we usually heard about yeah. in, in great detail. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've been thinking about, you know, Dad quite a bit because it's getting ready to be the, well, when this episode comes out, it'll be past yeah. the 15th anniversary of his passing. and. I've said football was in my top 20 when he was alive. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, was in my top five when Dad was alive. Yeah. Now it's in my top 20. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't think my dad had any regrets. Yeah. Uh, none that he ever stated to me. Right. He lived quite the life before he married my mother. Mm-hmm. And then after he married my mother, he said he was very happy and was very happy with his life. But, yeah, whenever he'd give me advice, you know, because Dad never liked things to be too serious so yeah give me good mm-hmm. advice about something which most of the time I never listened to to my own detriment but he'd tell me that and then he'd say well you're the only son I'll ever have that I know of <laughs> yeah and with dad uh, you know we don't want to do the you know, DNA the test <laughs> yeah we you know I told my older sisters you don't want to do that we might find out we got more brothers and sisters running around out there yeah no, I think, his buddies told me my dad was a ladies' man. Mm-hmm. I, I never was. I had to have feelings for somebody. Yeah. So I, I was never much of a ladies' man. I, I have to admit, but my dad was, mm-hmm. and all his friends said growing up, they said they were like, "We want to be Ernie. We want to be your dad." He had all the women. Yeah. And when he met my mom, let's be honest, he was forty-eight when he met my mom, and forty-nine when they got married. Yeah. So he was getting older, but he was 49, my mom was 36, uh-huh. and he marries a woman with three children, 12, 9, and 6, mm-hmm. and from that point on, he was our dad. Yeah. And uh, his buddies would tell me when we go to the tavern picnic, I'd help the guys barbecue, mm-hmm. and Cato and all of them would tell me, they're like, your dad had all the women, and then he meets your mom. And he tells us he's getting married, and he becomes a settled-down family man. Mm-hmm. He said, and when we talked to him about that, he always tells us the same thing. Guys, I'm happy with my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, regardless if you live a long life or a, a short life, just being happy, I think, is one of the keys. Yeah. Well, to, Dad lived to be 76, and yeah. he always thought he would die in his 50s. So when he had that heart attack... Uh-huh. He thought, oh, I'm going to be like my dad, I'm going to die in my 50s. And mom changed his diet to where yeah. we ate so much chicken and turkey, I thought we were going to sprout feathers. So he didn't have a heart <laughs> attack from 1986 until 2008. And when they they were talking to the doctors, uh-huh. the doctors said, have you ever had a heart attack before? And he said, yes, in 1986. And 
They looked at him and they said, you haven't had one since? And he's like, no. They said, we have never heard of anybody going 22 years before heart attacks. Right. And they said, well, the wife completely changed my diet, and she's super strict on what she lets me have. Yeah. (laughs) Which she was. Yeah. So. I tell you what, the only thing that I wish is you would have uh, scavenged Ernie's chili recipe. I do, too. I'm I'm kicking myself to this day (laughs) that I didn't get Dad's chili recipe. Well, we quit eating it, you know, right uh after he had the heart attack, because me and him were the only ones that could eat it. It was so hot. Right. But I have kicked myself ever since that I didn't think about that, and I didn't get his chili recipe. Yeah, because I really wish I I would have enjoyed, you know, I mean, I only had one bowl that one time that was uh, over there, and he's like, here, here's some chili. I'm like, ooh. Because you know that I like hot food, so. (laughs) Curl your eyebrows. Yeah. I was like, man, I'd like to have a recipe for that now. I still kind of... Because now chili is so mundane and, and plain, it's not, you know... Yeah, his was super spicy. Yeah. But, yeah. And I don't know if that is the region that his family was from, or... Yeah, I don't know. I did not... I never thought to ask Dad, did he get it from his dad, mm-hmm. or, or what? I mean, there is so much on the Diaz side. Yeah. I really wish that I knew... We mm-hmm. don't know why Joseph came to Missouri from Mexico. Oh, okay. It was right in the middle of the Mexican Revolution. Uh-huh. And he was 23, so him and his brother came. Uh-huh. It definitely could have been because of that, because in those days, the federales would just come in and say, okay, you're conscripted into the army. Yeah. And then you go fight a, a battle. So say you fought a battle with... Uh, the Southern Army, um, Zapata's group, mm-hmm. or you fought a battle with Pancho Villa in the north. Mm-hmm. If you the Federals lost that, they would c- capture all the soldiers. Yeah. And you have one of two choices. You could be shot, mm-hmm. or you could now be a member of the uh, Army of the North. Uh-huh. So, well, I'm not... So, you'd have these poor soldiers, they'd get shanghai in the first place. Yeah, mm-hmm. And now they're going to have to go serve in another army. And so a lot of guys in that age, it was a good idea yeah. for them to get out. So, mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's the because he never told Dad. And I, I expect that if he would have told anybody, he would have told Dad. Yeah. And because Dad was the baby. And Joseph was 38 when Dad was born. Oh, okay. And... I think Dad spent more time with him than a lot of the kids did because he was working so much when mm-hmm. they were kids. And Aunt Marie didn't know either. And she was kind of the family historical repository. She lived to be in her 90s. Oh, wow. She was the last one to pass. Dad passed before Aunt Marie passed. Yeah. Um, but she didn't know either. Yeah. And there's just so much I wish we knew. We know where he was from. He was from San Miguel de Allende. Mm-hmm. And we know uh, Dad's grandma and grandpa's name. But we know nothing else about him. They never met him because they never went back to Mexico. Joseph never went back to Mexico. Yeah. So they never met their grandparents or any of their family on that side. They gotcha. don't even know what happened to his brother. His brother came with him. Uh-huh. But they don't know where he settled, and they didn't see oh. his brother and his family either. Oh, wow. And the Mullenbergs, Dad, well, I think it was racism, but Dad said they never really accepted them. Uh-huh. He said they always... He, he described them as stuck up. Uh-huh. And they did have a little bit of money. They were first-generation German immigrants. Uh-huh. 
So Marie was born here. Dad's mom was born here. Oh, okay. But her family was originally from Germany. Her oldest brother, I think, was born in Germany. Oh, okay. The rest of the kids were born here. Yeah. And they owned some... Uh, oh, some stores and stuff uh-huh. on the south side and all that. And I don't know really what the dynamic was. Uh-huh. I just know my dad didn't feel welcome there. And I, because of that, it would piss me off. Yeah. Um, because people are stupid. They say all kinds of stupid stuff, and they well, find I mean, every kind of different reason to hate somebody for something stupid. Well, if you remember when the Irish... I shouldn't say people are stupid. Some people are stupid. I remember when the Irish first immigrated to New York, um, and they were looking for housing. People would put up window signs in their window, room for rent, except to Irish. Yeah, and it was you know it was it, it, it was very and why I don't know. Yeah, everybody finds reasons to hate. Let people do their thing. If it yeah. isn't bothering you, exactly. why do you care? I've exactly. never understood why people you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sorry. Racism is ignorance and it's stupidity mm-hmm. and it's caused so much division and hurt in this country that it's not even funny. Exactly. It's it's racism is, is it's like a cancer. It'll get there and it'll grow and it'll fester and we need to eradicate it. Yeah. Well wouldn't it be great if we could cure that? That would be. It would be great. Well, I think we've Going all the way around the pea patch this week, so... Well, i that's my fault. Oh, no, I, <laughs> I, I went my own way, too. Um, but we will finish off the last part of the discussion about Stanislaus Zabisco in the next episode. Mm-hmm. I haven't decided what the historical thing will be for the Christmas episode, but I'm thinking... There was a Christmas night fiasco involving this same Stanislaus Sabisco. Mm-hmm. That may be the topic for the for the Christmas episode. Okay. And so the last words I want to say on this podcast so we can end. Would you like to say goodbye? Peace. Bye, Dan. Godspeed. I will see you on the other side, brother. <laughs>